0: Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, Please consider getting involved and in sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi coffee slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us one dollar, you can give us five. Whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Dwight Cooper for the win! It's on its way! It's on its way! It's gone! Cooper is the
1: man!
0: Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family-friendly and positive, so get involved! get involved now you might think who is that luscious dulcet tones or who are they coming from and that is rev he's
2: back how are you rev very good thanks it's great to be back uh chatting rugby and it's um it's funny we finally got a time that i'm like hey i can do that one let's um <laughs> let's jump in <laughs> now
0: where have you been if people aren't, aren't aware of why you've been uh, missing on a pod where have you been my friend um uh...
2: A mix of two things. So, um, training to be the next Wallabies fly half just in case, because it's been quite a rotation. So I figured, you know, it can't hurt to just hit the park and, you know, practice conversions just in case. But, um, primarily, um, looking after the, the first born. So, yeah, very exciting times. But, um, Yeah, it's nice to have the time to chat rugby on top of
0: it. Brilliant. Well, luckily, it is a public holiday, so both Mitch and I are available to chat with Rev. Uh, Mitch is having a few connection issues, and we're a bit time limited, so we (laughs) needed to get started without him. Hopefully, he'll jump on when he can get his audio sorted. Um, now, on the point of training up to be the next fly half, I genuinely had a dream last night that I was a Wallabies um, lock, and that I had played in a test against New Zealand, and Michael Hooper had made his triumphant return back into the green and gold. And um, within that, he he came back with this new strategy, which was just cause absolute chaos. So um, instead of backs or the back three or the fly half being the one that's doing the majority of the kicking, he brought in this new strategy with the forwards were the ones that were doing the majority of the kicking at really weird, inopportune times. And so the All Blacks defence had no idea where the kicks were coming from or where they were going to be. So they were just hitting the ground, bouncing everywhere, and it won us a game. So I think I've just stumbled across the next secret to beating the All Blacks.
2: That might justify why Nick Frost decided to kick it during the Australia A game. He's like, hey, I'm on board with this dream. Let's, um, yeah, let's practice the forwards kicking. I'd like to think that my dream was kind of... Um unique and i
0: created that idea and i didn't have that uh experience influence my dreams but hey we'll find out um so everybody you can find us on all major social platforms so facebook instagram and twitter and we're also the pod is available on every major platform as well and thank you to the absolute legends that have been donating donating on coffee.com pick and drive rugby we hugely appreciate the support that people have been showing there so tonight, or today, not tonight, today, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to go through the Wallaroos preview prior to the opening World Cup game against the Black Ferns over in New Zealand. We'll then review the Wallaby A versus Japan 15 match before we then do a bit of a recap and reflection on the Rugby Championship this spring to a chat, and then talk about the locker room as well. How does that sound for you, Rev? I'm very excited. Can't chat on all those. Brilliant. All right, let's jump into things. We move now to the preview of the Wallaroos, the Australian women's team, as they begin their opening match against the Black Ferns in their Rugby World Cup campaign. Now, for those of you who might have had your head in the sand, this is the 2021 Rugby World Cup being played in 2022 as a result of COVID delays. So the opening match is going to be this weekend, Saturday, October the 8th at Eden Park. And it's actually set to break the world record. For the largest attendance ever at a women's rugby game with over 30,000 tickets sold for the opening day triple header so you're going to have new zealand versus australia south africa france and fiji versus england um with obviously new zealand and australia being the opening match within those two eden park sits 50,000 seats i wonder how many additional tickets they can sell to see if they can fill the ground but either way Mitch, or oh, Rev, I should say, because to differentiate, Rev mm-hmm. coming into this game, what is going to count as success for the Wallaroos, both within this match and across the whole competition, knowing that they are the only team in their pool who are still amateurs, paid as amateurs within
2: this game? For them, they've got a really difficult task in facing New Zealand on home soil. Um, they've still never beaten uh, the Black Fern, so it's going to be a massive task for them. But I think what they'll be looking for is just to try and get um, you know, a, a real show of, hey, we can compete and ideally a bonus point because this is a bit of a different setup to um, the 2017 World Cup. We're not just taking through the top four, go and do one to four and the next group do fifth to eighth. You know, they've just got to get in the top eight teams. Um, so realistically, if they can't finish in the top two for their pool, they've just got to try and be the one of the two best third place teams um, for their respective pools. So it, it's going to be one of those sort of, Series, I guess, where every bonus point counts, every bit of for and against counts. They need to try and keep um, closest. If they can't win, I, I'm not expecting them to beat the Blackburns. I, I don't think that should be the the goal. But realistically, uh, what the last fixture was 22-14. If they can get one point closer, claim a bonus point, um, and you know just show that you know uh, that it can match these teams, then that's what I'd be looking for. Because aside from the second last game against the Blackburns, they've got a really good defensive record this year. So. I'm keen to see how they go in this comp. Exactly. And that defensive record
0: um, is really, really impressive, particularly when we consider how the team has remained relatively unchanged over the last few matches, um, as they're obviously trying to build some combinations in preparation for this. So on that point, which players are you most excited to watch from the Walrus in this competition?
2: For me, it's probably the the back row it just has so yep. many superstars. So like the, the obvious one would be um, Shannon Parry, who's, you know, been at plenty of these, well, Cubs and knows knows how to, um, I, I guess, navigate a tournament like this and has you know been through all this before. Grace Hamilton's obviously a freak and has had a bit of exposure to that as well. But the fact that we've got Emily Chancellor, Piper Dark, we've got all these players, and even Grace Kemp as well from the Grumbies, mm-hmm. all these players that really could be starting and wouldn't look out of place. Um, there's only quite a lot to like from that. And I, I'm nearly contemplating whether the Wallaroos could go a 6 2 split just to try and accommodate all these you know, freakish back rolls they've got. So that's probably the main area. Um, the other one for me is probably Laurie Kramer, yep. um, mainly because with the Wall of Ruse, I was trying to do a bit of digging around, and we kicked at 55% this year. So we've kicked 10 from 18 goals, um, you know, mostly between sort of Kramer and um, Arabella McKenzie. So they've done most of the heavy lifting there, but we've only kicked two penalty goals this whole year. Um and I think with so many tight games, like we had a really tight loss to um, Fiji, um, oh, sorry, not Fiji, Canada, USA, and New Zealand in the um, tournament this year. Yep. I, I think just the ability to take points to be really, really crucial. And Laurie Kramer kind of hinges on that, because she's a great kicker when she's on. Yeah,
0: exactly. And she's um she had one match where she was a bit off with the boot, but aside from that, she's an incredibly good kicker, um, excellent technique and really good power. So very keen to watch her play. She's actually been my shout for a while at 10. Um, I'd love to see her be moving into the fly half position, but I don't think they'll be doing it at this point without the experience in the lead up matches. Um, so for me, I'm I'm incredibly excited to see again Laurie Kramer. I really, really like her as a player. Uh Georgina Frederick um at thirteen is probably my favorite one of my favorite players within the squad. She's just this defensive rock who is solid in everything that she does, rarely makes mistakes and commits herself wholeheartedly to every uh, involvement that she has within the game. And one of my, um, look, there's a part of me, you know how I have my man crushes within the the men's game. Like I want to say my women crushes, you know what I mean? My favorite players, the ones I just love to see all the time. I just don't know whether it's inappropriate to say that, but um, (laughs) I'll say it anyway, Uh, Grace Kemp. She yeah. is just one of my favorite players. And so for her, I don't, I doubt she's going to be starting within any of the matches. Probably going to be a fight between her and Piper Duck for the um, kind of back row bench spot. Um, but I really like your shout of a 6 2 split because bringing Grace Kemp in, she's a really, probably the most damaging ball runner that the Wallaroos have. But um, she just lacks the experience in the other facets of the game. So she's someone I'm very keen to be watching as well. So. You've put together a match day 23 for who you think will be picked for the Blackburns match. Uh, What I'd like you to do, can you quickly just run through the forward pack um, and then we'll go through the back row. And with the forward pack, you include the bench spots as well. And then we'll talk about any changes
2: that I think um, might be coming into those positions. Yeah, sure thing. So for the starting pack, I'd like to see Partu, Talakai, and Kapani as our front row. Um, with Lafayette and Leonard in the box, mm. and Chancellor Parry and Hamilton as the back row. Um, coming off the bench, I'd like uh, to see Masters come through at hooker with um, uh, Robinson and McGorman, a bit of a TARS combo as the reserve props. Um, the 19 and 20 jersey, I'm a little bit open. Um, because of the great conversations we've had with her, I'd love to see Sarah Gama get the crack mm. of the 19 jersey. I think she's, um, on top of being a great player, just an awesome person as well, so it should be uh, good value in the 19 jersey, I think, but At twenty, I'm probably leaning Piper Duck again. The Waratahs just have such a great um, history of success. They're such a dominant team in the um, Super W competition. So, to me, it's probably the case of just get as many Waratahs players as we can into this twenty-three. Yeah, I think so. And um,
0: Piper Duck has proven in some of her involvements in the past that she can make an impact coming on late. So, I think from my perspective there's no changes that i'll be making to that starting pack uh for me as much as i really really like sarah nagama and think she's an absolute freaking legend i'd probably be leaning towards no pun intended leanie um i I didn't like that (laughs) sorry guys (laughs) um so i'd probably be moving towards Lini being the starting bench player i think that she probably just has a little bit more physicality i feel like sometimes sarah can get uh knocked back a bit within her running running game um and for me yeah as much as i want grace kemp to be on a bench um it's probably going to be starting with piper duck i would agree get get as many waratahs in as possible they've got they've had a longer history of um success and higher quality preparation over a longer period of time so i think you'd probably be leaning towards piper there let's go to the, um
2: the back line please Uh, So, yeah, for the starting back line, um, Badabasunga and uh, Trillane Pomeroy as the halves combination, so a bit of experience there. I'm probably leaning to Wong on the left wing, but, again, I could be tempted quite a few ways because my Stewart's back uh, from injury, and we've seen Tarita have a really nice um, sevens campaign, and obviously the sevens women are just absolute freaks for Australia. So um, the left wing I've got really wide open, so sorry for being a bit um, blase over that one, but... The rest of the back line, I think, picks itself. Shiny Williams at 12, um, Frederick, which you mentioned, at outside centre, um, Mahalia Murphy at 14, and Laurie Kramer at 15. I think that gives you the right balance of you've got speed, you've got attacking options on the wing, you've got kicking yep. options, um, you've got smart defensive readers, you've got experienced players. Um, yeah, it, again, it's a really exciting looking team. Uh, for the bench, I've put Lane Morgan at 21. I'd probably prefer Cecilia Smith at 22. Um, Although since ditching the East to go to Sunnybank Rugby Club, maybe I've changed my mind. But um, (laughs) otherwise, yeah, uh, Seth Smith at 22 and then uh, Arabella McKenzie, 23, sort of covering fly half and fullback.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting shout there because um, Arabella McKenzie's basically had the mortgage over the last few games on the 10 position. So what's your reasoning there behind thinking that she might be better served at 23?
2: I think one of the things has been her kicking game has not really been up to scratch um, for what I'd probably expect uh, at Walleroo's level. Um, and one of the big things with the World Cup, we need experience. We need sort of some of those overheads. And I think Pomeroy gives us that. is a great player um, and really high impact of the bench, but I just don't think it's been quite as, um, I-, I guess, settled. And in matches, like we, we saw before with the 12-10 um, lost to Japan earlier in the year at the last World Cup when we lost 1917 to Ireland. We just need our, I guess, King Bird's on some experienced heads around us just making those decisions. Yep. And I think, I mean, either option I'd be happy with, but I think Pomeroy gives us a little bit more there at the moment.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I've um, been a little bit concerned at times watching Arabella McKenzie where she can have some really incredible involvements within games and really smart passing game at points, picking out good runners and gaps. Um, but at times I feel like she takes a foot off the accelerator and um, we'll make a good pass and then kind of just start walking or following the play um, from pretty far back or uh, doesn't have that alertness at times, that consistent alertness that I'd be looking for within a starting player. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm okay with Murray at 10. Um, Personally, if she'd had the experience, like I said, I love Kramer being in that position. But yeah. either way, um, I'm really excited for the opening match. So it's going to be at 5.15pm uh, Sydney time on Saturday night, Saturday the 8th. So adjust that for wherever you are around the world, 5.15pm aest don't know. <laughs> um so yeah just be aware of that then our second match will be australia versus scotland 1 p.m at saturday on saturday's 15th and then the following saturday the 22nd australia versus wales at 12 15 p.m so make sure you get behind the women and cheer them on and hopefully they can get through to the um well basically get out of the pool stages and get into the knockout situation because then anything can happen and either way we know they're going to do us proud so any final comments or thoughts you wanted to say
2: on that mate I think one of the things that's probably good for us to reflect on is um, the fact that we're getting just that bit more exposure um, around this World Cup. I I think dropping the women's from the title is probably a nice sign of reflection that this is the World Cup. Um, There isn't really need to differentiate. But one of the things that's probably going to just help the sales, as you mentioned, you said 30,000 tickets already sold. Um, Excitingly, Switch Rugby is doing his uh, World Cup preview this week, so he's got uh, I think England, France, and New Zealand coming out today, and then he's doing some of the um, other teams a little bit later in the week. Australia's getting a preview on Friday. Um, he, he just has such a wide range. So if we could just, you know, get a few more people into that Eden Park, like imagine selling out the opening game to the World Cup. It'd just be absolutely awesome. So, yep. um, yeah, for me, I think a lot of excitement about the promotion of this World Cup um, and very keen to see how Australia fares because we're right in the mix probably for that next tier below uh, New Zealand, England, and France. And all it takes is, you know, a big game in the finals if we get this. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. 100%.
0: Well, I think that's a good preview. Make sure you get your eyes on the telly. It'll all be available on Stan. Um, at this point in time, as I say that, I'm not sure if it's free to air. I'm guessing it would be, but I'm not actually sure on that one. So 5.15pm, Saturday the 8th, Australia versus New Zealand, opening game of the World Cup. Get involved. And let's move on now to the World A versus Japan 15. Let's go.
2: So over the weekend, we've seen the Wallabies A come out and play Japan 15 in what was very close to a test match, but I'd say even better than because we had one of the smoothest, uh, most interesting, most exciting, least interrupted games of rugby I've seen this year, um, and also an Australian win, so there's a lot to like about that. Australia A got up 34-22 to 22, uh, with tries to Mike nwankanita getting a double off the bench. Fred Wilkin also scoring one off the bench, and the hype. The Prince that was promised, Sule Asivinovalu crossing over uh, early in the second half as well. So a lot to like about the side who really didn't have a lot of expectation coming into this match. And across all social media platforms, a lot of Japanese fans quite confident, um, expecting maybe a 12-point win given they had close to a test team. But the Australia A came out and they wanted to upset and they did. Uh, A lot stood out from this, but I want to get, Ando, your thoughts first. What was your immediate reaction to this pretty resounding win from Australia, Direct? Eh? I just really enjoyed the game. And I know that's a very simple statement
0: to make, but I think we need to just pause and recognise how, how good it is to be able to watch a game of rugby and enjoy it. <laughs> because for the Wallabies over the last six matches in a rugby championship, uh, there have been a, a couple of highs, probably two highs, and then some monumental lows as the team has capitulated, refereeing decisions that have been pretty contentious, have have spoiled the experience, and um, TMO involvement has also kind of impacted the game. So for this, there was very, I think there was only one time that the TMO was called upon. Um, if there were more, I, I didn't notice it. And the referee kept the game flowing smoothly. There were no cards handed out, no foul play, just a really enjoyable match, which um, it was a bit of an arm, arm wrestle within the first half and then opens up massively within the second half to be a really fun match. So that was my takeaway. I just enjoyed the game.
2: I think a lot could be said around the, I guess, the, the how vocal the crowd was as well. I, I know we sort of missed that at the start. There was a little bit of glitches with the stand mm. coverage, which... I'm um, completely forgivable given the the nature of this uh, match, but yeah, just seeing a completely full stadium, hearing the cheers, and the Japanese crowd are awesome in the sense that when the Japan 15s scored, obviously they were up in their seats and in you know, cheering but they were pretty equally vocal when Australia were doing well. They're just keen to see a great contest, and I think that's what we got was a match that was start to finish really entertaining, and spotted a little bit of a blow, and sort at the end. It was a close match the whole way through. Like, I wasn't yep. ever confident that Australia already had this in the game until probably the last sort of five minutes. So it, it was really exciting. And as you sort of touched on, at halftime, it was only 9-6 um, to the Japan 15. I was not um, bored in the slightest, just like there being yep. no tries. It was just one of those games that it seemed like there was a lot happening and there was a lot happening because it was fast moving. It was fast paced. But I, I guess leading from that, Which players helped facilitate that? Like, which players stood out to you in this, um, in this fixture?
0: I think Lange Gleeson is going from strength to strength within his kind of development as a rugby player. Um, He actually got over the line within the first half, but um, Siliasu Vidalvali got kind of stuck in front of him and it was an accidental obstruction. Um, So it just showed that even within that first half, although it was just penalties being traded, there were a couple of really good attacking breaks from both teams that the cover defense or a couple of errors um, resulted in no tries being awarded. But, yeah, Lange Gleason is, for me, just one of those players that seems to be doing everything right with the opportunities that he's been given. So as a ball-running threat, he was probably the best in the park for um, uh, definitely the Wallabies. I think that um, the Japanese defence was outstanding. Their line speed and uh, stickiness in defence, sticking on every hit and driving the Aussies backwards was noticeable. But every single time that Gleason got the ball, he either didn't get driven backwards, which a lot of other players were, or he made ground within the tackle. And I know that that's, a, again, a basic statement to say, but few other Aussie forwards were able to be doing that. And so for me, he was possibly the best in the park for the Wallabies.
2: And, and really hard to argue, if he was um, best, I think right behind him would be Jock Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. it, and just those two sticking out is probably the whole point and the crux of this Australia 8 team is, It's so important that we bridge that gap between Super Rugby and the Wallabies because we've got the end of year two coming up. Um, As Wallabies fans, we've been dealt with close to 30 injuries now. The fact that we've got these players playing at this level, getting test um, match uh, type experience, not counting as a test match, they won't get a cap for it, but um, just getting that sort of familiarity with that environment, I think it's going to make a massive difference because so many of these players show that they're not really that far off from a Wallabies call-up. Mm-hmm. um we had eight current wallabies in the um match day 23 there was a lot that are knocking on the door and have been in squads um ben donaldson certainly didn't do his chances any harm uh ned hannigan made a nice triumphant return and you know um and i'm sure you'd have been happy to see him with the captain's armband at the end of the match Ooh, yeah Ooh, um, my two favorite players as captains. It's great <laughs> that's the, thing. the game was really just built to um please you and i think it did a good job of that so when we look at the importance of aussie um developing the Wallabies is probably second, pleasing Ando first. and I think both things ticked off um, this weekend. So I guess that leads us to the coming weekend. We've got two more fixtures against the same opposition. Japan 15 have picked a massive squad. They've got about 41 players to pick from. Um, so I'm sure they'll have a few changes as they try and settle on their best team. But you know, what, what changes would you make of any um, to our team for the next fixture?
0: Yeah, look, well, this is it's a really challenging one because we're having to discuss what we expect the team to be versus what we want the team to be. And um Gilmore um has already, Jason Gilmore, the coach, has already indicated that Tane Edmund will likely get the start within the second match over Ben Donaldson just to share those minutes and get the experience. But at the same time, there's a part of me that just wants Ben Donaldson to stay at 10 and develop that experience and confidence, basically backing up game, games after games. I'd rather Donaldson actually start the second match and then regardless of what happens, Tane Edmund gets the start the third game. That that would be my preference at end. Um, in terms of any other changes, uh, I'm not too sure how many major changes I'd be making. Um, I think that I'd like to see Noongan Itawase get a start over Dongunu. I think we've seen Dongunu and know what he offers at a higher level. Um, and I, I just think that Noongan Itawase's form off the bench and his growth as a player throughout the last 12 months has been so exceptional that he really needs or deserves that start over Dongunu. And the reason why I'm saying Dongguno as opposed to Vinavalu is because Vinavalu needs to start every single minute of, of, play every single minute of this series. Yeah. Um, if he is to be an a uh, chance for the Rugby World Cup squad, he needs game time. And we saw throughout this game that Vunavalu, he has incredible strength to his game like the try that he got was fantastic it was he provided a good um, attacking run in a lead up to that he then got back into the line demanded the ball on the short side and was able to break through the tackle and get the ball down really really well so it shows his strength um, and his ability to make those plays on a short side in one-on-one situations but also he was pretty defensively suspect and wasn't as confident running onto the ball with some of the chips in behind, which was a really key feature of the Japanese attack, particularly within the first half. Um, And they exploited his uncertainty within that defensive role. And so I think you keep Vannevalo in there, you bring Nwanganitoise on um, in place of Donguna, you keep Jock Campbell at 15, Um, do not bring Tom Banks on because (laughs) we know what he brings, we know his abilities. Maybe you put Banks as the twenty-three. And so he can come on maybe after 60 minutes for Jock Campbell or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I, aside from that, I don't see many changes. Uh, forward pack, what do you think is going to happen in the forward pack?
2: Well, forward pack? Yeah. I, I think Brad Wilkins' form is really hard to overlook. Like, he's, for a start, 27, he's a bit more experienced. He's had a lot of time with the sevens program. He's been, you know, the, the schoolboys, you know, rugby was an absolute freak. And I think Inter is hampered sort of that, you know, peak sort of twenty-one to twenty-four year um sort of cycle for him. But his form for the rebels was unreal. And I think his impact off the bench just looked really sublime. He linked up really well with the other forwards. Um, you know, he's played ten years of rugby with Tom Robertson between his stints at the Waratahs and Sydney uni. So he's got some nice combos with some of the players there. But he's someone I'd like to see get a run and to me probably the biggest one, Pony Farmasouli. Um mm. I, I want to see him come in because we've got some pretty big decisions to make around who's going to be our next group of props at the World Cup. We've got, I think, our first um, four or five really settled, um, but that includes three loose head props. We need our next tight head to really sort of emerge and you know state their claim. Whether that's Tom Robertson, who's sort of shifted across um, back again because he's been between the two. Twenty-five Muzulu only been a tight head, so maybe he's you know got the bigger body. He's you know not got that sort of um, Mindset of you know how a loose might um scrummage, but even Harry Johnson Holmes, we haven't seen so for me, I want to see Ponty because I think he's probably mm. the, the next option. Um, and then Ryan Smith, I think he's one of the hardest working locks um in the competition. If if we're really set on Caden Neville being in the Wallabies and you know being quite set, he's an experienced player. Um, I'm not sure he needs necessarily as many minutes in this Australia A system. I'd be pretty keen to see Ryan Smith get a start, yep. but yep. otherwise, um. I was really happy with the pack. I, I thought Ollie Callan impressed. He's someone I wasn't that um, keen on. I thought Archer Holtz did a reasonable job off the bench and he's someone I wasn't that keen on. I, I just think they've got a really good squad. So there's not really any other changes I'm you know, super desperate to see.
0: Yeah, so I, I would agree on that kind of lock front. I think Ryan Smith was strong when he came on and probably deserves a start. The question is over Neville or Frost, if you want that kind of experienced head to just provide that that settling and calming presence within what is a relatively young and inexperienced team then i can understand why you would keep neville within the starting team yeah. but i mean ross performance was really really good his engine to help set up that in noangani while in something like a 76 ish minute was fantastic and does that can you drop a player after a performance like that? Um, maybe it's rotate as opposed to drop is is the language that you use around it. But either way, um, it's good that we're having these questions. Um, yeah. It's good that we, we've got players that have stepped up, put in a good performance and um, really, really impressed within that game. So it just shows the value of this Australia A team. And I know that there's been conversations going on at RA about what to do to bridge this time of the year of how to be getting more game time for players after Super Rugby's finished during the rugby championship period, like they've basically got six months where they're not playing rugby. So what can fill it? And Australia A is, from all accounts, the cheapest of these options. Um, so I can understand why they're going for this ahead of something like the NRC, but it just shows you how important regular rugby in this time period is and what it can do um, for, for, play, or for fans who yeah. um, are just struggling to have positive narratives around the Wallabies because it's a tough international environment. Um, and so, being able to have other opportunities to cheer on your players and just celebrate the good things that they're able to do and the efforts they're able to put out are just fantastic. So, yep, more games,
2: two more games against Japanese fifteen, and keen to see the performances of the Wallabies. A, that's the thing. Look, like, I think one of the things I just want to finish on with this is how important this relationship is with Japan. Like as you're saying, like we need something to fill this time. Uh, I know the Reds, Rebels, and Force are heading over to Japan to have some fixtures against some of the top league teams. Um, you know, Japan have money. There's no reason why they can't fly over and do some games against our teams, sort of in preseason fixtures, or just trying to determine these things. Um, Because, yeah, as you said, we need to we need to find that little gap that just connects those players. Because Dave Rennie's used 64 different Wallabies, and truth be told, not all of them were ready to be Wallabies at that point. A lot of them should have been playing fixtures like this and getting the experience in. So, yeah, this has been awesome to see, Uh and very keen for the next two weeks of uh, the same fixture. Hopefully, we can sort of. Uh, tie the series up next week and have a bit more fun in the third test
0: completely agreed well why don't we shift on now to the will rugby championship and a bit of spring to a chat as well love it let's go <laughs> Moving now to the Wallabies Rugby Championship review and a little bit of chat around the upcoming spring tour as well. Rev, with an extra week of reflection, have your attitudes, feelings, emotions changed or settled about the Wallabies and their performances across the Rugby Championship? I
2: think I'm less upset, um, but whenever I look back at the results, I I can't be happy with them. to me, I again just looking from a sort of numbers perspective, I try and always base on like well, what would I give each game out of ten? You know, how was our performance? And like the games we won were good. Um, it was only two, but you know, they were they were good fixtures. But man, some of the losses, like if you take away that Melbourne loss, which, you know, was was very close to a win, um, uh, save for a, a slightly different riffing decision or a quicker kick, they were really terrible. Like that was a like disgusting loss to Argentina, like the Biggest yep. loss we've had to them 31 points or something. Um, the loss we had to South Africa and Sydney, again, disgraceful. Like we weren't in it at all. The late constellation try made the score look a slight bit better, but we were just completely outplayed. Um, with you know, a pretty similar team to what beaten them the week before. And then yeah, that last game against New Zealand, like that was a really tough watch at twenty seven nil down or whatever it was at that point. So um yeah, I- I'm really torn. I I'm not happy with the rugby championship. I'm not confident at going into the string tour, but there are glimmers of promise. You know, there are some players that improved. Um, you know, there's some players that I have a hard feeling of, and I think if enough goes right, we can do well. But yeah, I'm not feeling great.
0: Yeah, and that's that's part of it. There's the, it's that frustrating and tantalising element of being. It, I used to say this about the Waratahs, but it's also Wallabies fan. Is there's always hope there's always these little glimmers of gold that you can be kind of drawing out from these experiences and these matches or the player performances. Uh, But so rarely does it come together into a whole cohesive team performance that we can say it's something that we can be kind of proud of and excited for moving forward. And it's the um, consistent inconsistency that (laughs) I think has just been the most frustrating part of the entire rugby championship. So we started off with a good win against argentina away before getting spanked by argentina away a good win against south africa before getting spanked by south africa a tantalizing loss in um in controversial circumstances to new zealand before getting destroyed by new zealand yeah. it's it's a good performance a bad performance a good and that happened, that's happened 3 times and so it's so hard to really Reflect on any lessons across the entirety of the competition because there's very little stability of performance, even if there is some level of stability within the players um, that have been performing throughout. But even then, we've been massively impacted by serious injuries to key players across the entirety of the international season. So yeah. it's just so hard to draw from. So considering considering what I've just said about that instability and the lack of um, kind of consistency throughout the Team and the performances, maybe we need to dive down into your favorite area, the numbers, to, to draw some lessons and to draw some meaning from this. So uh what we wanted to do was look at some of the stats across the championship and to draw um just some of what maybe see what lessons or stories can be taken from that. So why don't we start with the penalties? Because it's what the game of rugby is defined by at this point in time, <laughs> horrifically, yeah. is the uh penalties. So looking at the penalties conceded, total penalties is South Africa 69. New Zealand 75, Australia 85, and Argentina 88. Although it needs to be said that Argentina conceded something like, what was it, 18 or 20 within their last game. So yeah. if it wasn't for that final blowout match, uh, they would have been ahead of us as well and we would have been the worst team across the comp. So from a total penalties conceded perspective, we are close to, if not the worst um, team for conceding penalties across the whole um, across the whole competition.
2: What, what do you take from that, Riff? Yeah, I, I think the Argentinian, uh, sorry, the Argentinian blowout does make it look bad. But yeah, our median score is mm-hmm. definitely the worst. Like we just consistently had um, too many penalties. So one of the things that's really bothersome with that is just the, the nature of those penalties. You know, like we looked at also where they originated from and um, just how many of them are really needless. So many of them you look at and you think, yeah, it's annoying that we gave away that penalty, but it wasn't because we were under like immense pressure and we needed to do it to um you know relieve it or okay like they were gonna score um a try out wide if we didn't stop it so we'll settle for three points it was all really like for the most part opportunities where we just had a brain snap or we didn't get up quick enough like on top of the number of breakdown penalties which we'll probably get into the the one that really did my head in was just how many times we got stuck in the ruck and didn't clear out quickly enough or was in an offside position because we stayed around near the halfback as they were trying to clear the ball. It yep. was just a really, um, yeah, painful situation, I guess, to look at and see how often that was the case. So, um, yeah, to me, the fact that we also had 44 breakdown penalties out of that lot, more than half of our penalties coming from just our rock involvements, a massive issue, um, which probably doesn't help with, you know, losing Hooper and not having a, a regular six, but still, it's way too many for a Tesla. Exactly, and uh, when you also look at
0: some of the origins of the scrums as well. So 44 at the breakdown. Our scrum our origin of the penalties. Our scrum also conceded the most penalties across the competition, with 15 penalties. And I mean, we're looking at this. Uh, James Slipper is the most penalised player across the entirety of the competition, um, and within the Wallaby setup as well. So he conceded 14 penalties. So um across the first game i'll just go from game one to six and read out the numbers three one five two two one of the penalties across each game and that's just not good enough obviously the five blow out even if you take that down to two um something that maybe within a game you could be a little bit more forgiving of that still takes him down to 11 penalties across the six matches which is still more than double the next closest player within the wallabies the next closest players on five um so that That's just not good enough in terms of our set piece performance. But also, also the perception that that is giving the refereeing or the officiating teams about the Wallabies, because we were talking about this um, within just some of our group chats as well, about why it is that Australian teams seem to be getting pinged more. And some of them, some of them are just bad penalties where the players are making dumb decisions and are going in. But some of them, we seem to be getting some of the 50-50 calls going against us, so it's a bit more of a 60-40, 70-30 kind of thing. And we were thinking, well, who are who are our captains? It's Slipper and it's White. And Slipper is the most penalised person within the competition, even if he does engage fairly respectfully with the referee. Uh, White has been a little bit of a hothead recently um, and has been a pretty controversial figure after his... Um, Overly dramatic, um, slap in the face responses. But he's still our second most penalised player with five penalties across the six games. Um, there's a few others on five as well. But it just shows that maybe maybe we need to be considering a a new captain moving forward to change the perception of the person who's having that regular conversation with the refereeing uh, with the referees in each match. What do you think about that?
2: That's the thing. The, the next captain. Um, it, it's a big issue because. Have like a clear cut, I guess, option. And, and for us, there was sort of a lot of talk around Alan Alatowa. Um, a few other names did sort of feature, um, and, and they all have sort of their merits. But you, you want someone that's just got a really great record with, um, I guess, infringing for a site. You don't want someone that's constantly penalised. You want someone that's got a good relationship with referees and knows how to, you know, communicate with them. Uh, you want someone that, you know, makes smart decisions under pressure. Isn't a hothead. Um and handle, Ebenet Smith shaking his fist and grabbing his collar. So, uh, you know, like, I guess Alan Alton does fit that bill, but um There's still a lot to sort of go under the bridge, and one of the key things, I think, is we've been really used to having uh, Michael Hooper as captain for the last 60-odd tests, where he's been, you know, an 80-minute player, constantly mm. our best performer on the pitch, um, but maybe not, you know, interacting with the referees in the in the best way possible. I know, I know Ben O'Keefe spoke pretty highly of him and when we had the discussion, but, you know, he doesn't really rank among the best captains in, in that aspect. So maybe, maybe we do need to change something quite drastically and just get used to the fact that it won't be necessarily our superstar player. It's not going to be a, a Corrin Betty necessarily. Um, but, yeah, I, my biggest thing is I don't have an accurate replacement. And as sort of that Cocker's Law of, um, you know, well, if we put someone in, who do you replace it with? Or if you take something out, who do you replace it with? I, I'm not really um, 100% confident on who would be the best captain. So I'm happy to let someone else make that decision.
0: Yeah, for me, it's Alator. Um, he's got the experience at a super rugby level. He's basically your starting player because Tupou's form has dipped significantly. And even when Tupo was at his peak, they were still kind of interchanging and sharing that role. And you can still see Tupo being a fantastic kind of 30 to 35-minute impact player in the second half. So for me, if, if we are saying that we need to change the captain to present a different... Um, disciplinary picture to the officiating teams then it's alatoa that should be stepping up and then maybe you have someone like uh, a white or a Gordon as the vice um, that in the second half when super gets subbed, when alatoa gets subbed steps into that position. so it's a bit of a challenging picture of what to do there um, but when we look forward to a few other things as well, let's just touch on the cards for a moment. Um, New Zealand, Four cards, uh, four yellow cards. South Africa, one red card and eight yellow cards as well. Australia, nine yellow cards. Argentina, eight yellow cards, although four of them were in the last match, which again skews the um, figures there. It just shows that even like Australia was equal, the most yellow carded team within the competition. A couple of things to consider there. Um, Jake Gordon's yellow card was an absolute joke. And shouldn't have been given so that would take that down um but i'm sure we could say the same about a couple of the others for other teams as well so i mean yellow cards we, we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by playing with significant numbers of men down like in the last game against new zealand with three yellow cards the previous game against new zealand three yellow cards we just seem to either have a pretty decent disciplinary picture in terms of cards or everything falls apart and we yeah. and everything just falls to crap
2: I think we um we saw how successful we were in that first game against England when we got the red card to Swain. We're like, hey, with 14 men, we're actually doing pretty good. We didn't um get the wins when we kept a full complement, so let's uh get someone off and just try and <laughs> see if that helps. But yeah, it, it is a massive issue. And you know, so as you're saying, like six of them being in the first half, um, you don't need to look much uh, into you know Twitter conversations to see how much of a prevalent stat that is. That the Wallabies' slow start skill that they don't win when they're behind at half time. Yep. They really, really um, confidence. Um, they can defend really well, but if if they get behind, they start doing quite erratic things. Um, partially from having a inconsistent team, from having a lot of young players, but it's a lot of okay. Well, I've got to do this miracle play to try and um, salvage it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're yeah, creating so much unnecessary pressure for ourselves. And if I guess looking at it is, despite having the most cards, Wright was the only one that doubled up. So. It, it isn't as if we've got necessarily, um, you know, a, a one key issue. We don't have a Lavanini. We don't have someone that's, you know, constantly like the um, the recipient of these. But it's a massive issue going forward. And I, I think, you know, regardless of the results coming up for this spring tour, we should just be looking at, can we just keep that discipline really under check? Can we just be getting 10 penalties a game even? Which still seems like a lot, but, you know, that would be um, a vast improvement on pretty much every game of the tour, uh, rugby championship for us yeah exactly
0: um so why don't we just keep moving forward as well because we do want to chat about how this kind of connects into the spring tour and what we're hoping for there so within the squad um from what i from my kind of stats that i looked at we used 38 players across the six games we had 10 players play all six matches three players played five of them and seven players played one game Now, what that last point there of seven players only playing one match indicates to me is the impact that um, things like concussion requirements are having. So, you have a player that um, gets a concussion, and instead of having to be, um, instead of just kind of shaking it off and playing on the next week, they're rightly being made to stand down for the um, required period. And so, we're having to bring a player in maybe for a bench spot. And so, we saw that across um, players like, well, Angus Bell returning from injury. Quade Cooper getting injured within his first game, um, Neville coming back from injury, O'Connor only having the one game, then being passed out. Billy Pollard being brought in um, for the Argentina game because of Parecki and Faingar's head knocks, um, and then also um, Harry Wilson only being used within the final game as a result of some of the injuries to the Sixes as well. Um, so there's there's a few players there that have only appeared for one, and it seems that Rennie partly is Still trying to figure out who his best players are in some positions, but then partly it's just having to adjust because of the ongoing injury toll within a team,
2: and that's really the big issue. Like when we look at the number of players that you know, as you say, getting so few fixtures, it, it extends beyond just this rugby championship. Like in the 64 players we mentioned that Rennie's used since taking over, 20 of them have five or fewer test caps. Like you know, it's really there's a lot of players that um, aren't in there for a great deal of time or really uses a stopgap sort of option. So, I mean, I don't know how many players he's taking onto it, but realistically, I kind of don't want the number to be too big because I'd like it to be just getting those same players, getting our best 23 plus, maybe, you know, eight or so others, um, just some consistent game time and rotating through, only really using it for injury cover, which uh, pays off this year, seems like a guarantee. Mm, I know. So... (laughs) When we reflect upon this, then
0: both upon the injury toll and the performances. So at this point, Rennie, you might know the specifics, but Rennie is one of the, uh, the statistically worst performing Australian coaches. Um, and we look at his performances across the team there. You have that consistent inconsistency, player injuries, poor performance, followed up by decent performance, um, do we think that he should be continuing as a coach moving forward? Personally, I say, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, definitely to the World Cup. And personally, I'd actually like him to continue beyond that um, and have the next World Cup cycle as well. But there are genuine questions which can now be asked. And it's not as though it's people just fear and trying to get clickbait, um, clickbait uh, listens or views or whatever on their commentary. It's a genuine question which we have to ask should Rennie be continuing as coach or is the challenge, are the challenges he's facing more of a reflection upon the injury toll that the Wellbees have had to face? To,
2: to me, I, I think he should be um, the coach. I think he's, you know, fantastic. And one of the things I look to, I guess, is how many games have we actually had our best players available? And to me, when I think of best players, I think about, you know, who's probably our, our you know, standout prop at his best, it would be Tupo, who's our best lock at their best, probably Rodder, our best back row is Hooper, our best uh, fly half has been Quaid, best outside back has been Corvetti, best center has been Karebi. But so th- th- there's sort of six players that would be, um, you know, there are thereabouts discussions for World 15s. And when I think about the games they've been available, that's usually been that five-game run where we didn't lose a match. Mm. As soon as, um, you know, we get to that European tour, we're without Cooper, Corabetti, and Corby, and that makes a massive difference. This year, uh, we haven't had more than three of those in a single fixture because of injuries or, or just different things going on. So, yeah, I, I really struggle to look at the you know the, the team as a whole because I don't think we've had enough games with our best team, and I think there's a pretty big gap between our best and our worst, and I don't think that falls on Rennie. I, I do think there's different things Rennie can be worked on because our discipline hasn't been good enough. Our scramble defense hasn't been good enough. And they are sort of coachable things. But I, I find it really hard to judge him on all of these performances when I know that we don't have our best team out there. And a lot of other teams have a, a team that's much closer to their best team. Um, I, I don't know if I back him all the way to the 2027 20, World Cup, um, but I do definitely want to see him get, regardless of any results that happen, at least this World Cup. And I think if he can win a quarterfinal, then keep backing him. Um, I think it's a a reasonable expectation given the the caliber of players we've got. And also the
0: challenges that he's had to endure within the broader Australian rugby environment since he took over. I mean, we've had the impact of COVID over the last couple of years, um, the challenges that each super rugby team has faced as a result of that, and the impacts upon players and teams and the like. So he's, he's had to go through circumstances that no other Wallabies coach has on top of the injury toll and on top of the um, the really competitive international environment as well, plus the fact we just play New Zealand so damn much that <laughs> our stats are always going to be skewed. So leading into the spring tour then, um, we're going to be playing in this order Scotland, France, Italy, Ireland and Wales. So what's a what's pass mark for this? Um, surely three, minimum of three from the five would be a pass mark I'd be expecting.
2: I'm the same with you. I think Italy we have to beat. Um, Scotland and Wales, if, if we want to be taken seriously, we, we need to beat those teams as well. And that isn't a slide on them because, you know, they're above us in the world rankings and probably just a five moment. We don't have a good record against either um, in the last three years or probably even last six years for Scotland. But um, yeah, it's me, if, if we want to be taken seriously at the World Cup, we need to show that we can beat those teams. Um, because at the moment, when people are talking um, about the Rugby World Cup, and, and I'm talking about podcasts from England and you know players internationally they're not talking about Australia as a threat. people are saying oh you know which teams are the white win oh France Ireland New Zealand South Africa always can turn up England have the best depth um those five teams are getting the mentions now we need to prove that we're in that conversation and I don't think that can happen without three wins on this tour
0: I absolutely love that Ireland's a part of that conversation despite never progressing beyond the quarterfinals yeah. of a World Cup yeah. um long may that continue because it's one of the funniest stats and uh things within international rugby um so for me i agree if we don't beat italy just burn the entire rugby establishment down uh, within australia and just i don't know start again start again we're doing (laughs) something wrong um but i agree for scotland and wales we need to be we need to be beating them and Look, Ireland and France are incredibly quality teams. They're kind of at the peak of their cycle. Well, Ireland are at the peak of their cycle right now because we're a year out from the World Cup. So I'm sure they'll be going on a downward trend from here. So maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they're weak. Um, but France, they are just incredible in so much of what they do. Uh, the um, free test series we had with them last year um, was a great series, and that was missing the vast majority of their star, star players. Um, so I'd be very, very keen to see us go up against them again in the the front. But now, my friend, we've spoken about it for long enough. Let's jump into the locker room and answer the questions, comments, and complaints from the fans. Let's go. All right, heading into the locker room, and we are incredibly excited to welcome Mitch Foster to the podcast. How are you, Mitch? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh i got here i got here
1: that's uh, okay. that's the main thing right
0: yeah it is uh your voice the despondent tone within it is showing <laughs> the frustration of windows zoom and driver updates being required so i empathize for you my friend uh welcome it's a pleasure to have you here thank you well mate we're here in the locker room so why don't we start off with the locker room question from michael tomlinson on twitter should our back three be campbell kellaway and Wright for the spring tour mitch what do you think of that one my friend
1: um i would be probably potentially dropping Wright out of that um and going campbell kellaway uh maybe on current form Noonganita wasi or uh even dalgunu potentially i think we've seen what Wright can do um and he's had a few brain farts the last few weeks and Particularly that last Bledisloe test, he really kind of cost us with some really uh, immature uh, decisions that he made with the ball, taking the quick taps and stuff. Uh, and with uh, a back three of Campbell and Wright, with Kellaway, really on the experienced one there. I think we need someone with a little bit more experience and that's going to um, not take those quick taps and, and do those silly, silly things.
0: Yeah, I think having if if we're making the assumption that Campbell deserves to be in there based upon this one performance for um, the Australia A team, hopefully he can back it up over the next two games. But let's say he does play as well in the next two um, games for Australia A, and he kind of is demanding that 15 jersey, which hasn't really been sorted since Banks' injury. Um, for me, I'd be thinking I'd want Campbell, Kellaway and Wright because I don't see both Campbell and Vunavalu being in the same back line. Mm-hmm because of the lack of experience they have and so if we if we have Campbell there for me that takes Vinavalu out of the back three but if we don't have Campbell there then I think we do have the capacity to be dropping right and bringing Vinavalu in because Vinavalu is the player that has the most potential upside in, of his growth I think over the next few months so if he plays for the next 160 minutes for Australia A and kind of grows in his performances and maybe doesn't make some of the same defensive errors, then he, in my mind, actually should be playing as many minutes within the spring tour as possible too. Um, Rev, what do you jump in here?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think Campbell and Callaway, I really want to see together and it's been brought up quite a bit on um, Twitter, but they're probably the two smartest uh, footballers we've got available at the moment. Like, they just seem really experienced and making great decisions. They're both 27, I think. Um, so I like, they, while not, you know, Keep a test case. I think Kellaway's got 18, Wright's about 18 as well. But um, Kellaway and Campbell do have at least that experience. And I'd be very interested, as you mentioned, experience, whether they put Kellaway on the right wing and put Banks at fullback, and maybe that then frees up the ability to have Vinavalu. But, um, yeah, to me, Campbell, Kellaway and Wright, I I don't mind. The right wing, again, just proves a massive problem. Um, I'd, I'd really like to see Campbell and Kellaway together. So whoever they need to put in with them to make it happen, I'd be happy for.
1: Question I've got for you two before we move on on this. It, with the back three that we've currently got, would you prefer to see, um, out of like a new uh, player coming in from Australia, would you prefer Vunavalu, uh, Nwonganitawasi, or Campbell get a shot? Because obviously we can't have all three. We can't even have two of those options, really.
2: Mm-hmm. If there's just one of them, I'd want Campbell. Uh, I think he's been the best and most consistent out of that lot. Um, I think Nwonganitawasi uh, is probably the most exciting um, in terms of what we've seen him do. And Vunavalu might be the most exciting best on what apparently he can do. But um, <laughs> Campbell, to me, is the best out of that lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm always enticed by the what if. And so the what if is leading me to uh, Vunavalu. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I'm a huge Jock Campbell fan. I've been on his bandwagon for a very, very long time as the Wallabies 15. Uh, so, yeah, that's a tough one. So, that, there are a couple of other questions um, that jump into that. So, Connor whitaker has got in touch asking, do you think Jock Campbell should be our 15 for the November tour? Personally, yes. Uh, Rev?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Yep. Mitch?
1: Um, look, For the full tour, probably not. Maybe one or two games. Maybe Scotland, maybe Italy. But Ireland, Wales, England, I feel like you're going to get found out anymore. if Oh France, sorry, yes, France. Um in some ways that's probably worth. Um <laughs> yes, I feel like he he could get found out if he doesn't have the experience and the uh just the game time at fifteen at the international level. Um Kellaway is a good option there, in my my opinion.
0: Fair enough. Um, and Christine Willie Kay also asks or says, oh, no, ask, am I the only one who'd prefer Nwanganita Wase over for Navalny? which started a good chat within the Twitter mm-hmm. comments there as well. Uh, yeah, look, I love Nwanganita Wase and I think he is a fantastic player. I'm not sure if um, now is the time for him. I think he is a great player who after this World Cup cycle will be one of the key back three players within the Wallaby setup. Uh, I just think that his run has come a little bit too late in his kind of development as a player. Um, and he'll be he'll be one of the key players moving forward. But uh, Rev,
2: do you agree with that? Yeah, for me, I'd be happy with either. I know I'm probably expected to save Vinavali because of my Reds bias, but I think both are pretty exciting wingers. They've both got a lot of promise. They're both pretty suspect in defence at times, um, just in different ways. You could nearly put it down to whoever has the better Super Rugby season next year as to who should be getting in. But obviously, Vinavali, um has had more time in the Wallabies squad. They seem to prefer him, and I mean, if they keep consistent form over the Australia A tour, I'd probably just go with him just because he's you know got a limited expiry um, and he's been hyped up so much. Uh, but yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with those. We've got a lot of sort of exciting players in that sort of tier.
0: Speaking also about the um, spring tour, Lee George has asked who starts at six at Murrayfield, and why is it Langie Gleason Mitch
1: <laughs> I would prefer to see Langy Gleason playing eight um, and potentially shifting um big Rob Valentini to six I don't why? think we have seen he played he played he's played eight for the Waratahs all year Langie Gleason is an eight he 's not really a six i don 't think he's as tall as Valentini. um. And I just, yeah, I don't see him being that number six kind of jumper in the line out, whereas Valentini um, could could do that.
0: Yeah, he actually plays six of the Brumbies, we've got to remember, um, yep. with Samu playing eight. So he's definitely had that experience. Uh, Rev, why should Gleason be starting at six?
2: He shouldn't. <laughs> but <laughs> he's he's a good player, though. Um, and, like, I think probably at the start of the year, if someone had said, oh, Lang Gleason, in the Wallabies, you would have, um, you know, thrown your premixer at them and just, you know shout it out but I think for me I, w- I want to see Pete Samu in there and with Hooper coming back he's an option for seven obviously our McWright was really good at seven but to me if we want line out work Pete Samu had the most line out takes of any um, back rower other than Cullen Grace across the whole season so I think to me he's a he's a pretty obvious inclusion in the back row and if we have a Pete Samu a Hooper McWright and Valentini back row I think that you know, sparks quite a bit of fear into a lot of teams. I think it's a really nice mix. So I'd probably be going down that route uh, with Lange Gleason maybe getting a cap off the bench against Italy um, if he goes on tour. But, you know, we've got other exciting back rowers. I I wouldn't be racing him into a a test team. I don't know
1: if you guys have spoken about it earlier in this podcast or not, but have you addressed the uh, Michael Hooper, Pete Samu selection dilemma for this spring tour?
0: No, we haven't really spoken about it because it's not 100% confirmed that Hooper will be going on tour. He said that he's back training with the team with the goal of going on the spring tour. Um, but we well, haven't then really my it. My question
1: is, uh, before we move into Wallaroos, my question is, if they're both available, who who do you start and who do you bench? Or how do you fit them into a 23 together?
0: I think what Rev was just saying is you have Samo at six and then Hooper at seven, and you do it that way because. We've been crying out for a um, six that can assist with um, kind of trucking the ball up and being strong in a line out as well. And we've cycled through how many sixes over the last kind of 18 months? You could probably name like five, six, seven players that have filled that role. Um, And Samu has been consistently one of our best back rowers coming off the bench. And over the last few games, he's proven his worth starting as well. So I think when we look at some of the issues that we've had defensively with our breakdown work, having two strong on ball presences with um, both Samu and Hooper being in the starting team it will be really, really helpful because we also don't lose anything in the line out by having Samu on the field for the whole game. So that's my take. Rev?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty on board. It comes into how we want to play. Um, with our back row, um, to me the obvious thing, if Hooper's available and healthy, he's easily our best player. So yep. to me, he starts at seven. It's not even a question um, if you know he's back to his best. Um, the concern I've got is probably if it is a Samu, Hooper, Valentini back row, I think that's our best individuals. Hooper and Samu are both reasonably short. I don't think either are above six foot one. So um, it does leave us a little bit, um, you know, short of size, if they go for a Jed Holloway at six um, or they want a big body, they want to put Valentini and Wilson in the back row together, then I think Simon reverts back to his um, number 20 role. But I, I do agree that I think you need both of them in the 23. I think yep. Valentini and Simon have been our two best players um, for the rugby championship. I think Hooper's our best player when fit and healthy. Uh, it just comes down to what do we want to do? And if we're happy to, you know, we had Poey and Hooper play together for ages, we could have um, Simon Hooper at six and seven but it just comes down to what our strategy is. And I think that's a big question Renny's going to answer on this tour. Yep. Yep. All
0: right. So I'm going to throw this final question to you, Mitch, before we're going to wrap things up. So this comes from Hugh96, loving his Wallaroos chat. We've already spoken, Rev and I, about this. So it'll be interesting to see what your picks are for these positions when you don't know what we've already said. So who are your Wallaroos starting back row and then back three?
1: Um, Back row first, I'd be going with Emily Chancellor. uh six i guess um shannon parry at seven because she's the captain uh with grace hamilton at eight
0: yeah brilliant that's the same pretty that's much the we back saying.
1: row we had in the last test
0: yep. against and then your back, back three ones.
1: um mahalia murphy at fullback finding wong on the wing uh not too sure who i'd put on the other wing
0: murphy at fullback that's a really interesting call uh has she played there over the last few games i'd she not... hasn't,
1: but she played there for the uh, Waratahs this year.
0: She's, yeah, brilliant. She's
1: a, a fullback for them.
0: so Yeah, okay. And where would you have Laurie Kramer then within your kind of back line setup?
1: Um, Is she predominantly a fullback?
0: Yeah, predominantly a fullback, yeah.
1: Yeah, so potentially off the wing. I mean, I'm not off the wing, off the bench. Um, <laughs> I also would probably put Pauline Rasabali in the centres. Yeah, okay, um, cool. I didn't think she had as much of an impact from fullback as we yeah. kind of do see Farley and Murphy
0: have. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Rev and I were tossing up between uh, Wong, Murphy, and Kramer, potentially, as a back three, so 11, 14, 15, with then um, Rev was keen to see Arabella McKenzie as kind of the back three player off the bench. Um, but either way, there are some great combinations there, and it's just really good to see um, the opportunities that the women are going to be getting in the coming week. So... Maybe I go with... Um, Mate, I'd go with Kramer on the wing. Kramer on the wing. All right. Yeah. Well, mate, it's been a pleasure to have you here for the final 15 minutes <laughs> of the pod. Um, hopefully, we can at least double that time in next week's offering. <laughs> so, we'll have you for a minimum of 30. Hopefully, Technology there are no permitting. Yeah, yeah, technology permitting. And Rev, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. So good to have you back on the pod, and hopefully there are more public holidays in the future where we can get this going.
2: That's it. It's nice to be able to do this at a time that... um works so well. It's great to chat rugby because I have missed it. Um there's been spatterings of uh I guess guest appearances on podcasts, but they've been at you know obscure times and um, you know, in the car on the way home from work and things like that. So it's yeah, nice to be able to chat rugby um at my desk and with you guys again because it's been probably six months. Yeah. Yeah about that. Probably
0: whenever Harry came around. since, (laughs) Since then. Um so I'm so mate, been an absolute pleasure. Mitch, great to have you here for the final few moments. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the pod. And we will see you next week. Catch up. Bye. Bye, mate.